0: didn't Work for you okay. Troy needs a Bible. If anyone else still needs a Bible, you can stick your hand up and try that instead of winking. Oh, people are passing to your Bible. Pick your hand up, please don't wink for a Bible. That new technique failed. John, where is he? Sorry, there he is. How about I pray for us? Actually, I should say if you don't know me, my name's Jason. Uh, if we haven't met before, I'm usually up at Bexley North or Bexley in the mornings, that's where I do most of my ministry as one of the members of uh, the ministry team. Uh, I'm one of the ministers here at St. George North, so lovely to meet you if we haven't met before, and I'd love to say hello to you a little later on. But why don't I pray for us as we come to God's Word today. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come to your Word. We thank you that your Word is a light. We thank you that in Jesus we find hope and we find comfort. And today as we come to your Word, help us to listen and listen so that we might obey. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, are there any Simpsons TV show fans around here? We've got a couple. We've got a couple. You know, I'm really excited just that I've asked that question three times today. And even at 8.30 this morning, people stuck their hands up. Isn't it great this show has gone for 25 years? Uh, I was watching it during the week with my daughter, Eliana, my youngest. She's 10. Uh, I'm a bit older than 10. And we watched the Simpsons movie, which came out 10 years or so ago, and she was cracking up as much as I was cracking up. I don't know if you remember the movie, but it's got that scene with Spider-Pig. Can you remember that? Pig on roof, trotters on roof, Spider-Pig, Spider-Pig, one of the classic Simpsons episodes. Uh, I don't know, maybe you don't know the Simpsons, so you think that's all really weird, but that's very Homer. Marge is looking at his wife and thinking, what is going on with you, Homer. Why don't you ever listen to me? I just said, don't have the pig inside the house and you've got him on the roof. But there you go, that's Homer Simpson for you. Now, I was thinking about the Simpsons because I was thinking about what Jesus said last week. How do we listen? And then I watched this show with Ellie and I thought, wow, we listen like Bart and Homer Simpson sometimes. I don't know if you remember this episode way back. So I started watching it when I was 16. So in 1991, I think it was, this episode was on TV, in 1991, uh, Bart is sitting in a classroom, he's being taught, he's staring at the teacher but he's clearly not understanding. The teacher's saying, this is how you do math, whatever it was, and then we zoom into Bart's brain. And what is Bart hearing? He's hearing, blah, 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 some of you are mouthing it because you remember the scene. Anyway, so Miss Krabappel gets really annoyed with him and says, okay, off to the principal. He goes off to the principal and, and Homer and Marge are brought in with him. And Homer's sitting there, listening, and the principal saying, look, the problem with your son is he's got a short attention span. You really need to help him to understand. And then we zoom in on Homer's brain. Blah, 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 blah. He's not understanding either. Father and son have the same problem. Anyone in authority, anybody that they've got to listen to, anyone they're in relationship with, all they hear is blah, blah, blah. Now I was thinking, the reason I was thinking of it, is because don't we, don't we treat God like that sometimes? Don't we say blah, blah, blah to Jesus? Don't we sometimes read his word and not process it and not respond and not act? And yet Jesus is saying to us, will you truly listen? Will you hear? Are you listening with understanding? And I know we come to church sometimes and we're thinking at church, "Oh, here we are another week at church, uh, another sermon, another bit of the Bible. Today it won't matter if my brain just wanders off. And I can do a little bit of blah, blah, blah in my mind while Jason's up the front or Phil or Kevin or Troy or whoever it is. They're speaking from the Bible, but today it won't matter. I can sneak away. Well, I want to say today we're in Mark's gospel and you can't sneak away in Mark's gospel because Mark is really short and sharp. Every time he has something in there, it's deliberate. It's like he only had a limited piece of paper and he was just jamming it all in. So today we have the other three of just four parables. It's all he gave us, four parables about the kingdom of God. So today is not the day to go wandering off, blah, blah, blah. Actually, no day is the wandering day. Today is the day to listen because Mark has said, I've got four parables and here's three of them. So we want to hear what he's got to say. So come with me, open your Bibles. I want to start with the end of our passage today. So that's 4.33. This is Mark telling us why he's limited his parables. So Jesus said in verse 33... Jesus would speak the word to the people with many parables like these, as they were able to understand. And he did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he would explain everything to his own disciples. Now, Jesus taught lots of parables. That's what he's saying. There's been lots. But I just want to give you four, says Mark. Now, don't think he's going to water the message down. If anything, it sharpens the message of the parables. Now, people often think Jesus meek and mild, Jesus loving and compassionate, But here today, we have a sharp edge to Jesus' teaching, which is why we need to listen. When it says there in verse 33, Jesus taught as they were able to understand, we like to think, oh, isn't that nice? Jesus is teaching so they can understand. But it's actually the opposite. He's teaching in terms they understand. So they don't have the Simpsons, so you can't do Simpsons illustrations. They have farming. They have seed and soil and rain and crops. So Jesus teaches in ways they can understand. But he's teaching them about the kingdom of God, and that's the bit they're not understanding. If you remember last week, we talked about why. Jesus is actually sending a message of judgment onto that generation. He doesn't want them to hear and turn, at least not yet. This is a message of judgment on the religious people of that generation. So, they're able to understand, but not really understand. But then see what Jesus does. He would explain in verse 34, everything to his own disciples. So, there is true understanding to be found, but... That's for the people who are trusting and following Jesus. That's where we're up to. So these people, they threw their lot into Jesus and they realized the key to understanding the kingdom of God is to understand who Jesus is. We read before in Exodus 19, all about the people of God in the Old Testament, Israel. And as we read that, I don't know if you noticed there, but it said, if you obey my voice... They've just got the law. They're just standing there on the mount, under the Mount of Sinai. They've heard the law. If you obey my law and you trust it and live it out, if you keep my covenant, then I'll make you a royal priesthood. Then I'll make you a kingdom of priests for a holy nation. Israel listened but didn't really listen. They didn't hear and they didn't do. The disciples now have this great opportunity where they're receiving from Jesus this teaching and they're listening to it and they're being given understanding. But we come and the question is, who are you? Are you more like the Israelites or are you more like the disciples today? Are you ready to listen and have Jesus explain or are you standing back in judgment at the Mount of Sinai and you're not actually going to do what Jesus says? That's the challenge of these parables as we come to them. So let's have a look at them. There's three of them. I've cheated and called the first one the parable of the lamp, but I'm not sure we usually call it the parable of the lamp. It's a story about a lamp. So come to verse 21. Verse 21, Jesus said, "'Is a lamp brought in to be brought under a basket or under a bed? "'Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? "'For nothing is concealed except to be revealed, "'and nothing hidden except to come to light.'" Now, we all know what Jesus is talking about here. We understand dark and light, don't we? We understand it's a basic thing of life, though we probably don't understand it as well as we could. We have lights, just flick the switch. We go out in the street, we have the street lights. It's never really dark around where we live, is it? If you go somewhere other places in the world... Nighttime comes, and it is dark, and it is heavy dark. Uh, Heather and I were in Ghana many years ago on a short-term mission. At 6 p.m., you wanted to be inside with the doors locked. It was dark outside. There was no other lighting at all. If there was anyone walking with a torch, you could see them a mile off. Now, that is dark. I remember when we were there, people would always warn us, don't go out at night because the Nigerians will get you. They had this kind of love-hate thing like Australians and New Zealanders. We're in Ghana, the, the Nigerians will get you. They love the Nigerians, but they like to say it. Be inside at night time. Light inside was wonderful. So we'd sit inside with our candle burning, we'd read books. We understand this, don't we? But this isn't about light, as in turn on the Switch. This is about the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is saying to those with ears to hear is that he is a lamp. He is a light. This little seed in the world, Jesus, is going to be the light of the world. Now, if we're reading John's Gospel, we just go, yeah, I know that. Because you start off with the light. John loves the light. John loves talking about Jesus as the light. Mark, he's just dipping into the whole light analogy. But Jesus didn't come to his creation to be hidden away. You don't go, when you've got darkness, you don't go and hide your light under a bushel, under a basket, under your bed. No, you put it on the lampstand because you want the room to be illuminated. You want to be able to see. Jesus has come to light the world with the gospel. In fact, the kingdom of God will be lit up because of Jesus. Now, if you're a disciple sitting there listening to this story, isn't this a comfort? Isn't this great to hear that Jesus is going to light up the world, that this little plan of his, this little team of people following him around will actually be something amazing that will light the world up? But I wonder for us, what does this kind of story mean? If you put yourself in the shoes of a disciple, you can imagine how they're thinking, but what about us today? I think sometimes we look at who we are as Christians a little bit the same way. We wonder, Jesus, why haven't you made it more obvious? Why not put a sign in the sky that says, I'm Jesus, repent and believe. Why not make it clearer for us? Why not light the world up so much more clearly? Why do we have to have endless debates with our friends about who Jesus was and where he came to and what his message was? Why do we have to push back when people say, Christianity is dead. Why do we have to make Jesus plain to people? Why don't you send your light into the world, Jesus? Well, I think he's saying here we can take comfort. In fact, Jesus is the light of the world, that his kingdom is intended to be revealed. That's what he came for, to reveal his kingdom. That's where we're headed to. We will be vindicated one day when Jesus returns and it is fully revealed. For the time being... Jesus is the light and we're little lights, aren't we? Now here we are living in the world right now reflecting Jesus where we're at. In a sense, if you're somebody who tells other people about Jesus, if you're somebody who lives like a Christian and everybody knows it, you're a little light. You're bringing light into darkness. You're showing people what it looks like to be the kingdom of God in this world. And so we're not to hide this light in that sense. But there is a stronger message in here, actually a harder message to hear. Jesus came as the light in the world. But have a look at verse 23. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. Verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured and added to you. You hear what it's saying? We're going to be judged by the way we listen to Jesus. Jesus. We're going to be measured by how we understand him, by listening to his words and responding to him. And then verse 25 it actually gets even more explicit. For to the one who has, it will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. When the kingdom of God is fully revealed, there's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be a reckoning and those who have listened and obeyed and loved Jesus, well, more of that will be given to them. More of the joy that comes with serving Jesus, more of the love for him, more of being like him will come to them. But to those who have not truly listened, those who have ignored Jesus, those who have deliberately disobeyed, those who have never thought about him, even what they have will be taken away. Now isn't that a hard, hard message? Do you hear that and worry for your friends that don't see the light of Jesus in this world? Mark's might have selected just a couple of parables for us, but he's going to be hard. He's got a message of judgment here for us. We're called to listen to Jesus with understanding, and that doesn't just mean listening and going, "Oh, yeah, 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 that means listening and doing. That doesn't mean being like Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai and saying... Yeah, yeah 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 and then giving up on the law it means for us listening to jesus walking in his footsteps and living our lives walking behind him and even though jesus uh, mark is talking about jesus and the final judgment day here the final reckoning and measuring i think it's also based on how you respond in this moment the practice of listening to jesus the practice of listening to him is a bit like how money works You know how money works, right? I'm sure you know how money works. We all know how money works. Money compounds. So if you've got lots of money in the bank, you get more money. And it just builds and builds and builds. Except in Australia where the interest rates are like this big and it doesn't really build. But it builds slowly. Money compounds. If you've got a debt, if you've got a mortgage and you don't pay that interest, it builds and it builds and it builds really quickly and you have a massive debt to the bank, and they expect you to pay it back. We can have a debt of the Word in our lives. We can have a debt. We can throw out Jesus' Word, we can stop listening to Him, and that compounds. The more we say to ourselves, you know what, it's okay not to read my Bible, I don't need that. The more we say to ourselves, I don't need to go to church. The more we say to ourselves, I'm not going to join a Bible study group, the more it compounds. The more we move away, the more we process that and forget about Jesus. On the other hand, if you love the Word of God, if you listen to Jesus, it compounds and more of that is given. That's what Mark is saying here. And on the final day, the final reckoning, those that listened and grew in Jesus will be accepted and given more of that. Those who didn't, they will be turned aside and everything will be taken from them. When we see that, don't you despair for people that don't know Jesus? Don't you? I despair for my friends who don't know Jesus. I want them to know. I want them to meet the light of the world, who's been revealed and will be fully revealed one day. We'll be measured by how we listen to him. So if anyone has ears, you want to listen to that, don't you? Parable number two. This is the second one Mark has for us today, the third of his little collection. Uh, Follow what Jesus says from verse 26. The kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps, he rises, night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the ripe grain on the head. But as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now, we see again, Jesus loves his farming parables, doesn't he? Straight away, we think about the first parable. Last week, the parable of the soils. He wants us to think about that. But this time, his point is a little bit different. This time, instead of thinking about the sower, sowing all that seed into all those soils, we think, yes, the sower is scattering seed, but he's just scattering it and going about his daily business. He goes and sleeps, he he eats, he doesn't worry too much about how it grows. That's not the concern here. Uh, Maybe some of you are like this. You don't worry too much how your food grows. Where does food come from? It comes from coals, doesn't it? That's where food comes from. This this isn't a story, though, about not being an agricultural scientist, not knowing how your food grows. This is a story like Paul has, that when someone plants the gospel and another waters, who actually grows the gospel in people's lives? God does that work. So to start with, like the first parable, there is some great comfort here. Those disciples sitting there, would have been realising that, hey, it's not my job to convert the world. I can't even do that. God will do that work. What a wonderful news that is for us. We don't have to go out there and make everyone become Christians, put their arms behind their backs and force them. God gives the growth. We proclaim the message and put the seed out there. God gives the growth. That's a wonderful, refreshing uh, message for us. But that's also not the sharp point of this parable. Why did the seed get planted? Planted to be harvested. The seed actually has a purpose. The sower becomes the reaper. Jesus becomes the reaper. He takes his sickle and he's looking for all the fruit of all this seed and he's going to gather it all up. And those people are the kingdom of God, his people. The point of the Christian life is to be harvested by Jesus. That's what we're here for. Not to die off so you can't be harvested, to be harvested by Jesus. A lot of people say, oh, wait a minute, the point of Christian life is to enjoy being in the kingdom of God now. And then the benefits are all now, aren't they? But Mark has a, has a corrective for us. It's true that when you become a Christian, you are a part of the kingdom of God. You are, you are following Jesus, you're a part of his family, and that's wonderful. But the full picture will be revealed in the future. Now is the sowing time. The seed goes out, it is planted, it is sown, and it is growing up new members of the kingdom of God. Mark doesn't want us to stop with this life is enough. In fact, he wants us to do the opposite. He wants us to look forward to the day of reaping when you know Jesus and will be collected up by him. But on the other hand, he also wants to challenge you. See, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. A harvest, a reaping is coming. So what does that mean for today? What will you do today if there is a harvest coming? What would you do today if tomorrow you knew Jesus was coming back? What would you do? I hope you would do. Go out next door and start knocking on doors and just working one to one to one and finding as many people as you can, telling them about Jesus and saying, repent and believe because tomorrow Jesus comes back. That's the kind of attitude Mark wants us to have but about whenever Jesus comes back because judgment is coming. Now it's hard to talk about judgment. If it was back in the 19th century, people talk about judgment in sermons all the time. There are some wonderful hellfire sermons. If you ever want to think about judgment, I've read some doozies. We'd hardly ever talk about God is judging people, that Jesus will judge based on how you've heard his message how you've responded to him. It sounds very radical, doesn't it? We're scared of that kind of radicalism, but we're supposed to be radical as Christians. If Jesus is coming back to have a harvest, what will you do today? How urgent does it become, this moment? Around us, there's all these people, liberal Westerners, tolerant people, they hate radicals. In fact, Just saying that I want Christians to be radicals is a dangerous thing, isn't it? There's lots of talk about radicalism in our society. What our society wants is for us to believe whatever we want in the privacy of our own home. Take it home with you, shut the door and enjoy it there. That's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants you to live in light of him coming back to harvest. He will be the reaper on that final day and only those who listen will survive now if you think about it if you're counting mark has four parables two parables remind us of a final judgment that gives you some proportionate idea of how important judgment is jesus will judge how we respond to him okay parable number three and maybe now mark realizes he's done enough on judgment parable number three what is the great hope and comfort for christians let's have a look at the parable of the mustard seed Verse 30, Jesus says, How can we illustrate the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? Well, he finds one, the mustard seed. When sown in the soil, it is smaller than all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the vegetables and produces large branches, so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Now, this little parable, every now and again, somebody says to me, you know what, the Bible's wrong because the mustard seed isn't the smallest seed? You think? Wait a minute. That is. Have you read the Bible? Have you even read the parable? Do you even know what it means? That is listening without understanding. This isn't supposed to be proof against the Bible. This isn't supposed to be proof that the mustard seed is the smallest seed. Jesus is telling us what he, what they thought of the seed at the time. Back in Galilee, around 30 AD, the mustard seed was about the smallest seed, and it grew up to be a massive vegetable bigger than all the other vegetables. Okay, we get the point, right? Simple. This is not a scientific account or claim at all. What he wants to say is, Jesus is this little seed. And then he has these little disciples that grow out as he comes into the world. And then, over time, the kingdom of God is going to grow, and it's going to be massive. And you won't even believe that this little seed will be this massive plant. It can't possibly be true. But he's reminding them that it is. That is the nature of the kingdom of God. Just like the other two parables that Mark selected out, This is a comfort, but it's also a challenge. It's comforting because, well, if you're there, part of this little crew who everyone's saying is wrong and isn't really religious and is following Jesus around who's a bit mad and doing weird miracles, isn't it a comfort to hear that actually what Jesus is doing is supposed to be the point? It is going to grow up to be this wonderful kingdom of comfort and shade and shelter for those in it. For for those of us here who have our doubts at times as Christians, for those of us who have times when we think, gee, why is it that we've only got 100 people here but there's 20,000 people in our suburb? We've hardly even made an impact. It seems so little. It should be an assurance and comfort to us that God's kingdom, it will be big. Even if we look at it and we seem pointless and little and foolish, if we look and say our message of the cross That's foolishness in the eyes of the world. No, no, no. It is the power of the gospel that grows this wonderful kingdom. On the other hand, we should be encouraged, shouldn't we? Because we are living now 2,000 years down the track and we can look back and see what God has done in the world. And isn't it exciting that one little seed, Jesus, grew to be the disciples, grew to be 50 at about the time Jesus died, grew to be 2,000 when Peter preached his sermon, grew to be 3,000 about the next day, grew and grew and grew and the roman empire decided it was going to be christian and there's christians all over the places and churches in this world all over the world and faithful christians isn't that wonderful that little seed did grow into the big plant you can see it around and yes in some places christianity flourishes and other it's under attack but god is growing his kingdom what a great comfort we've seen two thousand years down the track that this is happening This idea, though, is supposed to comfort us that actually the place you go is to God for comfort. So Psalm 121, for example, has a similar idea in the Old Testament world. Who's your keeper? Who's your shade? Who's your rest? The Lord. That's where you go. Jesus comes along. Matthew 11, he says, come to me, I will give you rest. Jesus is your comfort and your shade. We fast forward to Revelation chapter 7. God's kingdom is pictured as a multitude of people from every nation and every tribe around Jesus. It's this wonderful vast picture. It is the tree that has grown from the little seed. And we're supposed to draw comfort from that and hope because this is God's work in the world. Yes, there will be judgment, but after judgment, what a wonderful shade and shelter we have in Jesus. That is where we're heading and that should shape this moment. So given that, given that we have three parables all about, well, the future, where we're heading, what the kingdom of God will be like, and how we're going to get there, how are you listening to Jesus? What does that future mean for you right now? Because there are a few ways to listen, aren't there? There's the kind of Homer Simpson way to listen, Oh blah, 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 whatever. I don't care. The kind of stand in judgment. I'll stand to the side and examine Christianity from out there and not really personalize it, not really listen to it and understand it and live it out. You can do that, but that's not the kind of listening that impending judgment, reaping, and then the kingdom of God revealed fully is looking for. What we're challenged to do today is live lives that are so radical. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Lives that are so radical, not in terms of forcing people to become Christians, but in terms of living for this hope, of sharing a message in our world, of living in the light of the gospel and sharing that light, of living like the harvest is coming and we desperately want to see our friends come to know Jesus, of seeking and looking for comfort in the kingdom of God and not in our treasured possessions in this world. That's what it looks like to listen to Jesus, to live a radical and different life. Now Mark chose these four parables to challenge us on this. So I hope you hear the challenge. I hope you think about these challenges uh, during this coming week. Are you listening to Jesus in order to understand and obey? I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to think about that for yourself. And then I'm going to pray that we might live by that. I want you to take some time to think about that. Let me lead us in prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus into this world. We thank you that he lit the light of the gospel and that through it there comes such a great message of hope and of comfort and of restoration with you. But, Father, we are conscious as well that with it comes a message of harvesting. And so we pray that we might listen with understanding. And more than that, we pray for our friends and our families, that they might listen and understand who Jesus is. And we pray this for his glory. Amen. Well, we're going to sing now. Our next song is Holy Is Our God.